Hey guys, welcome to the Filming with Josh podcast. I'm your host, Joshua Milligan, and today is episode 31, Producer Spotlight, Matthew Postel. This is the Filming with Josh podcast, brought to you by Rustic River Media. Welcome to the videographer's home for tips, tricks, and how to make flicks. All right. Today's episode is part of a new series I want to start doing called Producer Spotlight. Um, I want to do these at least once a month, if possible, to feature different video producers from all kinds of different backgrounds and industries, from the outdoor world to corporate commercial world, maybe people that do events or weddings and all kinds of people. It's just an opportunity to feature people um, that I meet that I think would be uh, great to to showcase and talk about how they um, how they came to be into the video world and and what kind of work they do and talk a little bit about the business side of things. Um, before we jump into that, I just want to say if you are not yet a member of the Filming with Josh Facebook group, be sure to jump onto Facebook and type in Filming with Josh and ask to join the group today, and I will be sure to accept your request as soon as I see it. The Filming with Filming with Josh Facebook group is a place where you can come to chat about video and the business behind it and editing and pretty much anything you could think of. We we have a lot of great conversations on there and we're almost to 600 members. So I'd love for you to come and join the page and maybe you might get featured in a producer spotlight like today. Today's feature is going to be my friend Matthew Postel with 42 Pros. Matthew, are you there? Yes, I am. Hey, Matt. Thanks for, uh, you mind if I call you Matt, by the way? That's fine. I'm Matt Matthew. It doesn't matter to me. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thanks for joining today. I'm excited to have you on the podcast. I've seen you a lot on the Filming with Josh page. It's how I kind of got to know you a little bit. Um, And I I see that you're obviously pretty knowledgeable about video, and I felt like it would be great to get to know you. And um, so we've we've had some conversations, and I knew that you'd be a, a great first person to feature on a producer spotlight. So um, so thanks again for joining and, and for participating today. Oh, well, thanks for the invite. I'm, I'm glad I tricked you. I got a lot of tricky, tricky little quotes <laughs> and sayings and stats that I'll throw out there to trick people. But no, nah, I'm just kidding. Yeah, it's it's been a, been a long journey, and uh, I guess a, a continuous growth process for me to learn and I love sharing and helping other people out. So what better way to do it than on your podcast? So absolutely, man. And you are up in North Carolina? That's correct. We're just out, I'm just outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. Charlotte, North Carolina. How do you like living there? I, I love it. It's pretty uh it's pretty home to me because I've I've grew up here, lived here all my life. Uh there was a period for about eight years when I was at college and then playing professional baseball that I was all over the country, but uh, come back home and, you know, it's just home, you know, it's hard to beat home. So you played professional baseball? <clears throat> yes, I did. I wow, played, I did not know that. Yeah, I played uh, four years in the minor league systems for the for the Marlins. Oh, yep. that's awesome. What, what position did you play? Uh, mainly third, first, and catching, but I didn't have to play some other positions uh, just to fill in the gaps when people got hurt or, you know, just different situations with trades and whatnot. So, but yeah, primarily first, third and catching. My last two years was, was full-time catching. So, Okay. And do you miss it? Uh, yes and no. <laughs> the, the travel was extreme with baseball. Cause you know, 
in the major leagues, it's 162 games, and the minors is, is roughly 140. So you cram that in the six and a half, seven months time frame, you got about 15 or 20 days off max. And that's with brain delays and cancellations and all that stuff. So you're you're constantly playing and working and, and on the road, traveling, hotel life, you know, eating out all the time. So it was, it was different. And being a family man, it, it would be extremely hard to do uh, with kids. And I know I had some friends that actually played with, that had some family, you know, young family, you know, babies and stuff. And I have no idea how they did it, but, uh, but missing the camaraderie was one of the things I really, I really miss out, but there's different avenues and, and groups and whatnot that you can, you know, get a part of and, and, uh, and continue on with that, uh, that camaraderie and, and the fellowship and stuff. So, um, yeah, I, I worked my hardest, um, gave it all, and I didn't have any issues with, uh, you know, making stupid decisions, thank God. So I didn't, I didn't cut my, my uh, playing time down other than getting hurt. And so when I had surgery, I went from being a guy that could run 6'9", uh, play in multiple positions, 6'9", 60, that is. And I went from that with decent power to a slow guy that didn't hit a lot of home runs and that's a dime a dozen, you know, in the professional world. So I, I read the writing on the wall and I was kind of expecting to, to get the pink slip and, and I did and it, it wasn't too bad on me, but, uh, but I had a lot of fun playing. It was a great game. I love that game. Man, that's awesome. Yeah, I played baseball my whole life, and I stopped right at the collegiate level. And I, I always kind of dreamed that I could have made it further than that. You did, and I'm envious. That's awesome. It was a lot of fun. You know, I had four years at NC State uh, as well, and I started there. Um, and that was a whole other, you know, dynamic of learning how to cope with school and basically a full time job as playing as a as a collegiate athlete and, uh, yeah. There's nothing like it, you know, when you try one and play in front of 15,000 people or however many, and 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 you make that that one good play that seals the deal for the, the team at the end of the game. And it's a rush like no other, except double lunging a 150 with your boat. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to argue that. <laughs> it's very similar. That same rush is very, very similar. So, uh, yeah. There's just nobody there to cheer you on. <laughs> That's right. You can't get too pumped in the tree stand because you might fall out. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Well, man, that's awesome. I, I did not know that about you. Um, that's Man, that's interesting. Really cool. Um, how did you go from that then to, to video? Whew. Well, that was a, a very unique journey. I've always been a geek uh, at heart, and I've always been techie to some level, you know, breaking down electronics and putting them back together when I was younger in high school and middle age, middle school age. And um, when I got out of professional baseball, I actually uh, started managing a retail hunting and fishing store out in the eastern part of North Carolina where me and my wife uh, uh, got married and, and stayed out there for a couple of years. Um, and during that process, I've always had that, you know, monster bucks mentality of, man, I'd love to be able to film and do stuff in outdoors. And, and that's always been, you know, kind of back in the, you know, that little subconscious place of your mind of, man, it'd be nice, maybe one day type thing. And 
And uh, after a few years living out east and getting to know some people out there uh, in the retail hunting industry uh, world, me and my wife decided to move back home. And when we did, I hooked up with one of my friends named Jeff Bryant, who was a, a lifelong friend, still is. And we played ball together um, in our, our summer leagues of Legion Ball. And as soon as we hooked up, we started hunting together again. And within six months, he had made mention that um, he'd love to do a local TV show again. And he was part of a local TV show. And during that whole time of me being away, I'd gotten uh, involved with a leadership development group. And through that, I basically taught myself a little bit of a uh, movie maker way back in the day on PC and was able to, to put some clips together just to do some basic promotional pieces. Then I upgraded and got Sony Vegas. Um, and I can't remember. There's another software that I don't think it, it's, it's around anymore. But uh, so I started doing a little more, I guess, intricate and more detailed pieces of editing and and filming stuff and, and doing a lot of work for that leadership development group. And then when I moved back, my friends had no idea that I knew how to edit to a certain level, you know? And uh, so when he made mention of that, he had already been filming for Midwest Whitetail as part of the Ohio team. This is back before they had regions. And so he had been filming and being a part of the pro staff there with Midwest Whitetail for about two years. So he had a fair amount of footage and him and his dad had always been filming together. And I think they had the, the GL two back in the day on, you know, tape cams, um, the DB tapes and all that. And so he had turkey footage, fishing footage, you know, whitetail hunting, uh, footage and, and all kinds of different things. And so I said, well, Jeff, if you got the footage, let me have some of it and I'll put something together and we'll see what we can do. He said, what, you edit? I said, yes, we do. I've been working on it for a little while and, and uh, he said, well, heck, let's do it. So through iMovie, <laughs> iMovie, I put 20, basically 22 and a half, three minutes worth of uh, content together and him and another mutual friend that we had named Scott Lambert we all sat down and watched it afterwards, and then Jeff's dad got to watch it too. And they were pretty much like, okay, so uh, when do you want to do the show? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it just kind of grew, grew from there. And we did that for a couple of years here on a regional broadcast station called WHKY out of Hickory, North Carolina. And that whole time, I was digging in After Effects, Premiere Pro, Final Cut, and learning basically teaching myself I was I was consuming stuff like a sponge and my wife can attest to this um, there would be like seven eight ten days in a row where I'd be up late at night one two in the morning just watching YouTube videos while I'm working and trying to put something together and just learning constantly and I would go through spurts like that about once every month it seemed like and, and uh my wife finally had to say, hey, uh, I think we need to go out on a date. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just one of the things I have a, 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 a very uh, consumptive personality. And when I really like something, I dig into it pretty hard. And uh, 
So if, during that whole time, we did the show for a couple of years, and uh, Bill Winky approached me and Jeff, said, "Hey, um, one of our sponsors is wanting to really expand some more uh, content into the South and have a Southern reach. So we're going to move everything from state teams to regionals, and we're looking for somebody to do." the hosting and producing of the Southeast team for MidwestWhitetail.com. And I looked at Jeff and I was like, heck yeah, let's do it. He said, oh, by the way, it'll be paid pretty good too. (laughs) (laughs) That helps. But, you know, back in the day, I mean, it wasn't a ton of money, but it was a ton of money, you know, prospectively, you know, being the the first professional gig, if you will, for me to to have a, a big break. And... Bill Winky was uh, was extremely hands off. He had seen some of the work that we had put together. He knew that we were capable, and he said, "Boys, here it is. We'll communicate through the summer, and then uh, once things gets rolling, I'll be filming, I'll be hunting. So it'll be a lot of hey, you got to just handle it, deal with it, keep me in the loop type thing. But you're not going to hear from me a whole lot, and." It turned out to be exactly like that, which I think Bill um, has a, a very unique um, leadership style, which was very compatible with me and Jeff. And so allowing us to have enough rope to hang ourselves gave us enough uh, grounds to either prove ourselves or make a big flop. And so Bill did take a big chance on us because we really, and that was our first chance of, of doing anything like that. And uh, that was probably the number one uh, greatest learning curve and learning experiences I've ever had when it comes to filming and editing. Um, and if, for those of you that are listening that don't know much about MidwestWhitetail.com, it's a semi-live format to where, say, if me and Josh would go out and film and Josh would harvest this great big 170 and I'd capture it all on film, Within a week, it would be up in some type of show format online. That won't be, you know, a 30-minute show, but it would be an online series. So it could vary from, you know, 8 to 10 to 12, maybe even 15 minutes if there were a couple other hunts added in. And so that type of repetitive editing work forced me to learn extremely fast. But because I was doing so much of it so fast and so often that, keyboard shortcuts got to be known very, 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 very fast. And uh, that's how I I edit everything now. I hardly ever touch my mouse unless I'm just wanting to uh, select something new and and add it into project timeline. But um, And the rest is kind of history as far as editing, but that was my big breakout with Mills Whitetail and uh, with the opportunity there with Bill. Um, Since then, I've edited for a couple of different shows. Me and uh, Jeff and my friends, we actually put um, our local show on national platform uh, online and with Sportsman two years called Chase and Creation. And I also edited for uh, another show called Hunting the World, Southern Style with Ken Cobb. I did uh, editing for, for one or two years. I can't remember. Uh, it's toward the end of, of that show's uh, uh, career there with uh, sportsmen, but that was another level of learning curve 
that you had to learn on brain counting, specific codec for the MXF files and, you know, FTP servers and all this other stuff. So I had to learn even more on the, the technical side there. And the greatest thing about learning all that stuff is when you got the camera in your hand, you knew exactly what you really needed to film, you know, to, to produce decent content. And that, that also was one of the reasons why I grew so much as a filmer because uh, of the editing piece. But um, long story short, to wrap it up on, on the, the whole story, um, I was a full-time police officer and through editing with Bill and uh, doing the shows with my friends, and editing for other people, I said, you know what, I need to get a business going just in case if, if there's a chance, an opportunity where I can break out on my own or just for tax reasons, you know, it's a lot simpler to, to go ahead and have your own business, LLC and <clears throat> that whole nine yards. And uh, so I called it Code 42 Films originally because the only thing I was doing really was editing. And then um, last year when I had the chance to go full time, I had a, a lot of opportunity in the photography realm for real estate and portraits and different things like that. So I talked to some uh, accounting people and they said, you know what, in order to really encompass it all, you might want to rebrand and go ahead and, and change the name. And so I changed it over to 42 pros. Um, and um, so here we are, you know, I've been full time for a year, a little over a year and a half now. Uh, this is all I do, uh, video production, photography, uh, and that's my only in source of income. So it's been a been a pretty crazy ride, but it's a it's a one I wouldn't wouldn't replace for anything in the world because of people I've gotten to meet and see and hang out with, the places I've been able to go and see that I never ever would have even dreamed of going to see and meeting. Otherwise, you know, it was it's just one of those unique uh, professions where you get to travel the world and come back home and say, you know what. That was awesome. And on top of that, I got to do uh, the capturing of those those adventures all at the same time. So, But in a nutshell, that's kind of where I, I came from and where I'm at today. So a baseball player churned police officer turned video producer. <laughs> yeah. And there's, you, you've lived, man. <laughs> there's a few other things in there, too, that I didn't want to bore you with, but... <laughs> But yeah, yeah, I, I definitely uh, don't mind uh, jumping ship and trying something new. I see that. Why? I, I have to ask you, why the number 42? Well, in in our world of policing, um, 1042 in, in our region of the country, that is the radio call sign or, or code words, if you will, for off-duty. So when you'd call out to dispatch or, or whatever, you'd say, hey, county to... Uh, uh, I'll give you an example. P4978, the county. They had called back. I'd say, I'm 1042. That means I'm off duty. I'm done. I'm no longer active on their, their their computer screens, and they can log me out so they won't dispatch me any calls. And so since I was doing all this stuff off duty, I just said, well, there it is. Code 42 films, off duty films. So that's, that's, okay. where, that's where that come from. I like that, man. That's awesome. I like it when a name has 
some sort of backstory to it. Um, I don't know, for branding purposes, it just makes it a little deeper, you know? Yeah, yeah. And I got lucky with mine because somebody actually uh, said something about it one day and I said, that's it. That's when I'm going to do it. <laughs> I'm call it that. But. Well, that's quite a journey you've been on. And so now that you, you've been doing this for a little over a year, you said, correct? Yep. A little over a year and a half. Yep. A little over a year and a half. Um, what, give me an, an idea of the scope of projects, the different types of projects you take on today. Well, it's a full gambit. Um, since I'm, I'm freelance and full, uh, I guess, full service in the photography and videography realm, it could be anywhere from real estate photography, headshots for professional people, um, family portraits, weddings, whether it's photography or videography. Sometimes it's both because I've gotten to know a, a lot of uh, videographers that are in my area. And so I'll, uh, I'll sub out the filming to one of those guys and uh, then edit on the back end after, after I take, a, take care of all the photos. Um, I film a lot in the fishing industry right now with a organization called uh, pointclickfish.com. They are basically a fishing media outlet. So if there's any kind of new products, tips, tricks, blogs, all kinds of stuff, you had ever visit their website, that's what they talk about is fishing 100% of the time, whether it's offshore, inshore, um, you know, freshwater, saltwater, it don't matter if it's a fish, they talk about it and uh, they're constantly, um, you know, putting up new content on how to help you become a better fisherman. And, uh, and yeah, I've, I've, I've had some unique opportunities with those guys to, to travel all up and down the East Coast and and to Texas and and Louisiana to film for those guys and they're uh, they're a great group of guys too they're they're easy to work with because they're just like hey Matt we need you to film it this is what we're doing have at it <laughs> so they're they're wonderful to work for and work with uh, on these projects so that's awesome I I want to talk a little bit about that so. Okay. I, I recently watched one of your projects called The Salt Fever. Yes. And great fun. job on that. Yeah, great job on that. I um, appreciate it. For those of you who have not <laughs> seen that yet, you should check it out. It's called The Salt Fever. And you can find it on the website. Um, what what was the name of that website? The somethingfish.com? Yep, it's pointclickfish.com or point you, click fish. Yep. Or you can go to the point click fish. Uh, YouTube channel and it'll be on there as well. Yeah. Okay. So if you had, if you guys are listening to this, go check that out. Um, it's a great project that Matt shot um, and and edited together. So I want to, I just want to talk a little bit about how you did some of that. So one of my okay. favorite things you did on that was, uh, and for those of you who haven't seen this, essentially this guy has this passion for kayak fishing and he wants to go out and catch uh, a different a certain bucket list fish out of a kayak and one of them happened to be a keen mackerel and he goes out and catches one and there you guys look like you're pretty far off, offshore correct that's correct yeah which is pretty pretty nuts like i was watching i'm a terrible swimmer so i was like having anxiety <laughs> when i was watching that <laughs> and i don't think he had a life jacket on either <laughs> he did so he, did. Would, he, he did he did okay yeah, it's it's one of them streamlined little slim jobs but okay 
<laughs> but yeah, he had one on. I because I was getting anxious. I was like, man, I would drown out there. <laughs> um, but one of the one of the things that you did that I really liked was obviously you couldn't be out on the kayak with him, so you mounted a GoPro at him to to capture to capture him. Um, the, uh, have a, a camera angle facing him yep. and then you also got some shots from the boat you were on um but one of the one of the things you did that really kind of brought it together was when he did hook into it's like a, i think it's they said it was a 36 pound king yep. mackerel um yep. you you brought out the drone and you did a really great job of getting an aerial perspective of him uh, bringing the fish in it was it was awesome awesome job that you you pulled the whole thing together really nicely um especially considering the challenges of not being able to be on the on the kayak with him so congrats on that i appreciate um, one yeah one of the things uh that i want to i want to mention or, or or talk about is the audio um I think a lot of people would have either relied on GoPro audio only or would have tried to ran a wireless mic all the way from the boat that you were actually on filming from. Um, but I don't think that would have worked because I think you would have had audio dropouts from that distance. So I noticed you did a good job of capturing his audio. Tell us a little bit about how you pulled that off. Well, um, it was pretty simple. And me and John, the, the actual fisherman, uh, and the the main character of that film, we had talked beforehand, and we just had to make sure that we had adapters that was properly fitted for the GoPro because he actually normally has two, sometimes three GoPros running when he does his solo filming, and and so I said, okay, well let's make sure we got that adapter or, or multiple. We'll, we'll tie in and do a wireless system to where the GoPro can actually capture it because there's. You're right with with dropping out on the on the audio. There'd been, whew, there was a couple times when he was probably a quarter mile away, you know, mm -hmm. um, just because of the currents and the wind and, and stuff. You know, we actually and he's just floating along in a kayak. Correct. We we mother shipped him out and then we anchored down so we wouldn't interfere with his fishing. And since he had his paddles and everything, he could kind of maneuver and go wherever he needed to. And while he was fishing. He wouldn't actively be engaged with his mobility, so current would take him away. And if he was on fish and was working fish, he didn't stop. And so, uh, but with that, um, that's our primary way of we captured his audio while he was on the kayak. Uh, so it was a Sennheiser uh, G two or three, I can't remember, but it was a Sennheiser wireless mic that we actually adapted to the GoPro and the GoPro recorded the in in camera audio for that specific section. And um, which version GoPro were you using? Five, six. It was not a new one. I can tell you that right now. Um, I want to say it was a five, like a hero black five. Okay. Yeah. Some of the newer ones, I know at least down, I have two sixes. By the way, GoPro's announcing their new GoPro Hero 9 tomorrow. Yep. So I'm pretty excited to see what that's going to be like. I'm crossing my fingers for a larger sensor, but I'm pretty sure it's not going to happen because this <laughs> never happens. I've been helping for that for forever. <laughs> um, I just want a one-inch sensor like my Phantom 4 Pro has. But yes. 
wishful thinking. Um, at least all the way down to the sixes that I have, I know that they can actually record in higher quality yep. uh, audio formats. I'm not sure if the five has that, but um, I do know that tying in uh, audio through a GoPro actually, actually works pretty well. I've done yep. that. I did that, man, it was back in like 2015, I think. I was on a horseback hunt in Alaska, um, and I wanted audio. I, I had the hunter hold a GoPro on like a selfie stick out in front of him and talk to it as we were hiking a lot. And I ran his wireless lav mic straight into it, just like you did. And it actually works really well. It does. And I'd done it a couple of times beforehand on um, just some personal projects, just more so for an educational piece, just so I can have different options because, you know, once you go out and say Colorado or Wyoming and you're in the back country and, say, I don't know, whatever, an adapter or cable or a you know, plug snaps or something, you need to have those options to, as far as backup plans. And and that was uh, something I'd, I'd researched on and, <clears throat> excuse me, and, and then figured out, oh, this quick little adapter will uh, we'll probably do what I need it to do. And then I tried it out a couple of times, worked out just perfect, you know. Um, did have to clean up the audio a little bit because of that, that auto gain system that's in the Go, older GoPros. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you had to work with the audio a little bit, but it's it wasn't impossible. You know, it just added a little sure. extra time on the back end with the editing. And, um, and I knew that well, ahead of time. So. It's certainly better than than not having any of that and just relying on the GoPros, like <laughs> the correct. GoPros audio. Yeah. Yep. It's... it's, it's much, I mean, it's hard to describe the difference for those that don't, that are not in the professional world. And we'll try to dumb it down a little bit, but it's almost like, uh, I don't know, taking a 720 screen and comparing it to a 4K screen. You know, it's just, it just has that extra oomph when you have that really crispy, clean audio, as opposed to something you really have to boost and cut and play with the EQs and get crazy with it. Uh, when it's just recorded right in camera, uh, it's just yeah, it's 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 definitely what you need to do every time if you can. Yeah, absolutely. I wanna I wanna touch base on a few other things. Um, let's talk about polarizers. Do you ever use them when you're out on the water, or do you stick straight to ND? Um, some of both, um, and it just depends on the project. Uh, and really, truly, if I can do ND. I do ND all day long just to keep my, my shutter angle or shutter speed, mm-hmm. I should say, uh, correct for the proper motion blurs and whatnot, depending on what I'm filming in. But sometimes the polarizers uh, come into play, and it also depends on the water clarity. You know, if you're mm-hmm. if you're offshore like we were, you definitely want to use that polarizer if you're doing a fishing primary show. Mm-hmm. Um, now we were trying to tell a story. So I was using NDs. Right. So it's one of those things where you kind of, you got to think about it before you get there to make sure you're capturing what you want to capture properly. So if you're, you're out there filming, say some instructional stuff on how to fish for my, you know, dolphin, then polarizer to to cut through that glare is probably Mm -hmm. what you need to get because you can see how the fish are reacting as they're coming up to the boat. Um, you know, potentially where they're they hooked and 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 bit on that that bait, and 
you know, that's all uh, educational pieces that these captains of these boats and stuff and these charter systems out there really pay attention to because if, if they're noticing that a certain type of fish is, is biting and kind of getting flanked or if it's a deep hook or if it's just barely on the lip, they know what that fish is doing. So if you can video all that and capture those extra little details, then that'll help the educational piece when you try to put it together later, especially if you're doing voiceover work, you can get with your your host or whoever you're working with and go through and say, hey, here's here's our footage. Let's write the voiceover for it. And then they'll be like, hmm, you're able to capture some extra detail under the water. So that's awesome. We can talk about this, that, and the other. Whereas if you just had an ND or, or nothing at all, you'll catch that extra glare on the top of that water and you won't be able to cut through and, and see what's going on underneath as much unless you have an elevated position. So if, for me, on, say, the salt fever, I didn't have that, that ability to get high enough to really cut the, uh, the glare down and really have a good down angle perspective on what was going on around the boat. But have that option, that's always another avenue of, of getting around not having a polarized filter. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, that's kind of kind of what I figured you were gonna say. That's why I wanted to to mention it. I do think that having a polarizer handy when filming anything in the water offshore like that uh, definitely could come in hand for just being able to cut down that glare, like you said, and yep. and pick up a little bit more of what's going on in the water. So, yeah, that's awesome. What are some of the biggest challenges you've found filming offshore or fishing pieces like that? Water. <laughs> uh keeping everything dry i mean that's that's the obvious elephant in the room but um yeah um i've been very fortunate that i found some think tank uh rain covers a long time ago and with a lot of the cameras that i use they're sony alpha systems so they're, they're smaller cameras i can get my entire hand in there even with a cage and a grip and a couple other things going on the monitor on some of these bigger think tank uh, uh, rain jackets that will protect my glass, the connection area of the lens and the camera, the camera itself, all my external uh, equipment like monitors and all that good stuff, and um, just helps it stay dry. And it, you know, most of these will have uh, either Velcro on the lens or some type of scent system on the, the front end and then something similar on the back end so you can really close down uh, what you're trying to get done there and prevent water seeping in and getting on your equipment, especially with salt water. If you get salt water on any of this camera equipment, yeah, it's game over. Yeah. It's, it's, mm -hmm. it's pretty much done. And I think you actually said something about uh, filming a couple of times with FS seven or something for some redfish tournaments or something like that. And yeah, you got some salt water on, on some gear maybe. And, yeah, yeah mine wasn't so much salt water. I, I'm like you. I run uh I run Polar Pro. Not Polar Pro. Um oh my gosh. Why is the name eluding me? Um oh Portabrace. Sorry, there it yes, is. Yes, yes. I run Portabrace uh uh water uh rain covers and things over my camera. So I didn't have issues with water. My issues was more um the anglers for the fishing tournament were 
because of their fishing for 60 plus thousand dollars in cash prizes, they were <laughs> in these small, you know, 15 foot, 16 foot boats flooring it when we had like four <laughs> foot swells. And yeah. I'm, I'm, what happened to me was I had to pick, do I hang on to my FS7 or do I hang on the boat so I don't fall out of the boat and die? And I chose <laughs> <Yeah>. myself. <laughs> and so that's my, my camera got the crap beat out of it and pieces broke off and stuff. And that was the only time, I mean, I've, I've been running cameras a long time. It's the only time I've ever had a camera get damaged. Fishing could be rough on your stuff. Let's just put it that way. Most definitely. And that's that's something you need to know going into whatever you're going to do. If, if you're filming for a fishing tournament, these cats could care less of what happens to your camera. They're not being you know harsh or negative or, or cold. It's just there's a bunch of money online. If you do offshore bunch of money stuff, online. Uh, I mean, I did some uh, drone work for uh, a tournament up in Virginia a few weeks back. And the... Uh, the winners of that tournament took over two hundred thousand dollars home. So, do you think yeah. they're going to care if if your four or five thousand dollar camera rig gets soaked because they're driving fast to get out there to where they need to go to win that money? No, <laughs> exactly. So that's something you need to know going ahead of time. But if you're going to film like a a, a story based project, then you can work with whoever you're going out with, and, and it won't be quite as as rough and but either way, uh, you definitely need to have some some gear to protect your your cameras. Uh, I'd normally have um, like really good camera bag that's waterproof, plus a rain jacket that I can have on me for one of my quick cameras, and then for my other stuff with monitors and all that other stuff, definitely have Pelican cases that's you know in good condition to keep the water out of it, and, and plus getting beat down. You uh, never been on a boat and had to crack over a couple of six, eight footers. When you come back down on the bottom, it can jar you pretty good. So, um, protecting your equipment would be would be high up on the list. If you've never ever done it, definitely have a good camera, hard case camera, uh, protective pieces of equipment, whether it's Pelican or some of the other ones out there, just to 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 make sure you get your your camera safe and in good working condition so. yeah absolutely and and business insurance is probably something you have i'm assuming because oh yeah you'd be crazy not to <laughs> oh yeah and i've actually had to use that this year because of uh uh camera getting dropped uh, accidentally but it broke one of my uh wide angle lenses and so i had to cash that in and work on getting a replacement so <laughs> <laughs> Well, outside of fishing, you do a bunch of other work, um, and you have, I'm sure, a variety of equipment. Tell me, tell me what all you're using and working with today. We'll start with cameras, and then go okay. down to lenses and other things. I'm a huge fan of the A7 III from Sony, um, and actually, at one point, I had two of them, um, but found that I could get a lot of stuff done with the 6400s. And matter of fact, that entire my entire A camera just to push me i use the a6400 and the 18 to 105 lens as my primary camera on the salt fever film project nice and why do you like the a6400 so much well that is it's just handy um i i have uh figured out a good way to have an external power source that makes it last entirely too long. I mean, it's it's the power supply on these things that I've got now is called the Power Junkie, 
and I can literally run an entire day of filming in 4K uh, off of one of these MPF 970 batteries. So that's that's one of the advantages. But being able to have the flexibility of keeping everything small for fishing trips and also small and light for you know hunting trips um, is is another thing to keep in mind. But it's all kind of budget friendly. You get a ton of bells and whistles for $900. I mean, the camera shoots full autofocus, 120 frames per second in 1080p with audio. And it's $900. I mean, seven years mm -hmm. ago for a camera like that, you're looking at ten or $12,000 on the minimum, and that's not even with a, a lens, you know? Uh, so, mm -hmm. And you normally wouldn't have audio. Correct. With, uh, a bigger camera. Like my FS7 shoots 180 frames, but there's no audio. Correct. You know, and it, it gives you a lot of features. Um, and with a lot of the, 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 the totality of what I film and, and do photography for, the A7 III, the 6400s, and I'm probably going to get uh, uh, either the another A7 III or potentially that new A7C um, as a third camera. Um, because it is a full-frame camera, and it's basically spec'd out to be the A7 III, but it's just more compact. The, the jury's still out on that one. but uh, Yeah, and for uh, those of you listening who have not seen that yet, that's a very newly announced Sony camera that was announced like a day or two ago. Correct. Um, and it is a, it, like you said, it is a basically a compact kind of, I mean, it's kind of attractive looking camera. I like the silver bodied version. I do too. Um, it looks good. Um, it's like a slimmed down um, A7 III with an EVF on the left side, kind of like a 6400 would have. Yep. And, and if you would look at this camera and a 66 or a 6400, you probably wouldn't be able to tell the difference if it was the, the all black one. It'd be very yep. hard to tell. I mean, they're very similar in size, um, but it's a full frame camera. You know, as opposed to APS-C. Yep. And the silver version kind of looks like, like a Fujifilm camera almost. I, I don't know, they're it really does. cool looking. <laughs> I wish they'd make their other cameras that way because I would buy that in a heartbeat. <laughs> yeah, it does have that extra cool factor. Yeah, absolutely. So why would you buy Why would you buy like an A7C uh, potentially over something like the A7S III? Uh, right now it would be budget. You know, we're, sure. just, we're just coming on the back end of, of COVID season. And um, for all of the videographers and photographers out there, we, we had to become very creative with how we had to do things. And so I'm sure there's a lot of guys that had to actually shut the doors or go work for somebody else. And, and fortunately for me, thank God, I hadn't had to do that. Um, but instead of dropping that $4,000 plus tax, you know, on the body alone. On for, the body, because then you have to get the new memory cards, which correct. are pretty expensive. Yeah, if you want to take the full advantage of, of what that camera can do, you got to drop more coin on that brand new card system. Mm -hmm. And uh, then card readers, and then, I mean, it's just a whole gamut of stuff, you know, when you when you get into new tech. But uh, um, I'll probably, even though it's an older camera, I'll probably be leaning more to the a7 III because it's more of a professional camera. It has dual card slots. You can film to both at the same time. If you're doing photography, you can send raw to one, JPEG to the other. 
So you always have that backup. And, uh, you know, so like I said, the jury's still out on the A7C. Uh, but uh, from a budget standpoint alone is probably the reason why I would, I would want to do that just to get through the COVID, the rest of COVID season, you know, and, and get on into 2021. Yeah, I, I totally get that. Before COVID hit, I was looking at grabbing an FX9 and I knew the A7S3 was eventually going to come out and I was planning on grabbing one of those as well. But I'm 100% looking at next year before I think about either of those cameras. <laughs> yeah. I just I just want to be careful, you know, and like yep. my, my work has completely picked up and I'm at the point right now where it's like, I don't, I don't know how I'm supposed to do all this, <laughs> but that wasn't the case for like five months. And Correct. so, and I don't know, I don't know what's going to happen after the November election. I mean, there's so many things up in the air. I just kind of want to look at my stuff and say, you know, what I have shoots good video. I've made nice videos of what I have. I'm just going to hang tight. And I think that's kind of a smart move for a lot of people. Yeah, and you know, even if you do have the budget and your your schedule is full, and you can you can see on into the middle of 2021, and, and your your books are looking pretty solid, uh, and you're going to have that money. Um, I mean, is it truly a need to get it, or is it a want? Now, granted, for me, I, it's more of a need because of the 4K60. Yeah, um, I love filming in 4K60, which I don't have that option right now. Sure. Um, but, um, it's, I mean, you just gotta be smart, you know, with, with, uh, how you invest and, and get new gear because still today, majority of my work is social media based. Right. So very few people will say, Hey, I need this finished product in 4k. So yeah, that's, that's, why that's another it, factor in it is to your calculation of what gear you need to get. So. Yeah, I, I think that's a good point. I, you know, I, I know a lot of people, for instance, really got hyped up about the A7, or excuse me, the uh, Canon EOS R5 and the mm -hmm. fact that it shot 8K raw. Mm -hmm. And I laugh when I think about that because I actually know of a, a hunting show, for those of you outdoor people that I'm not going to name, um, <laughs> that has been bragging about shooting their, hunt, filming their hunts on a prime lens, but being able to do that because they're filming on a red and 8k yeah. oh yeah <laughs> and i'm just like dude i i can't even fathom having to dump at night i mean this is a real thing can you imagine at nighttime dumping 8k raw footage that you shot all day long every day just so you can <sighs> crop in and pulse or and to post a 1080p video like i just don't understand that like why not just use 4k and a zoom lens like a normal person it just doesn't <laughs> yeah. make sense to me um yeah so i think i think that like for me i i, I genuinely do have a need for 4k 60 i do mm -hmm. have a few clients like one of the large home building companies that i work with they hire me for contract work and their editor really likes 4k 60 and my fs7 shoots it but my mirrorless cameras don't yeah and so I, I do have a need for 4k 60 and i do want to grab an s3 next year but i think it's important to to look at your work and where it goes and really ask yourself is it a need or is it a want because yeah you know 4k 60 sounds great 8k raw sounds great but do you really need it <laughs> yep and a lot of people don't realize that 4K60 has been out there a while yep. in certain cameras. You know, Fuji come out with it, and even before that, GH5 had it. Now, granted, it's, it's different sensors, it's smaller sensors, sure. but if that's something that you need, 
look at something other than full frame because there's options out. Yeah. Um, the best, absolute best IBIS in-body image stabilization system is the GH5. Now, granted, mm-hmm. I think their, their uh, full frame S cameras have that similar tech, but I used the GH5 on some projects, helping out some other uh, people before I went full time. And you could literally hand hold everything walk around and it looks like it's on a gimbal and it is yeah it's stupid. pretty amazing it's stupid smooth but yeah low light is very limited and that's that was the catching point for me on that but but you can still work the thing is, is there's always workarounds because like I, I remember i went to mexico and i shot a short film like uh four year a little about four and a half years ago and i wanted to run micro four thirds cameras because it was a bighorn desert bighorn sheep hunt and I knew I've done cheap hunts and I knew how brutal it was going to be. Uh, and micro four thirds glass is so small yep. and you get the benefit of the two times crop factor. And so I, I rocked a black magic, the original black magic pocket cinema camera with a GH four cause the five wasn't out yet. And I, I mean, yeah, low light wasn't great, but the video quality still looked great. And I look at that project and I'm still really happy with it. So, oh, I mean, yeah. almost every camera today shoots really nice footage, so long as you kind of understand what, how to use it. Yep, and that's, that's the thing. Uh, if you know what the exposure triangle is, you can work around a lot of problems. Yeah. If you know what the camera can and can't do, that is majority of the battle. That ain't half. That's majority of the battle because you know how you have to film. So if, if you... Are not good in low light then you know you need to bring some lighting or make sure your your placement and your your angles and how you frame certain things is framed in a certain way or lit in a certain way or backlit in a certain way to make sure that you capture what you need to capture yeah i totally agree man um sp- speaking of all of that let's talk about what lenses you run okay um, I have the Tamron 28 to 75 S28. I have the uh, Sony 10 to 18, which this is a crop sensor or a crop uh, lens. Um, and I've been filming a lot with the 85 Sony 8518, the 2414, and uh, 518. And as far as long lenses, with what I do, I don't personally own a longer than uh, 85 millimeter lens because of the work I do. Now, if I'm going to go film a hunt, I will rent way faster than buy just because <laughs> I could get insurance on that rental. Um, I can have it shipped wherever. I can ship it out, ship it back to them and all that good stuff. Um, the company that I've used a lot was lensrentals.com and I've never had an issue out of them. If there was an issue, they overnight stuff, uh, you know, and I've had friends where they've, they've had horror stories where, you know, FedEx destroyed something and, and they had to get something sent overnight. Lens rentals, you know, covered it 100% because I mean, they, they got insurance on the backside too, but, um, those bigger projects like for our Badlands Film Festival, submission we had for 2020 i rented our main long lens which was the 100 to 400 the 200 to 600 hadn't got to the rental places yet so that was kind of out of the option for us to to get or i would have because 
of the extra crop factor reach that we could have got. I mean, we could have reached out to you know 900 millimeter if uh, if we would have had the access to that lens. But that was also a carrying issue. That's a great big old lens, the 200 and 600. It's a huge lens. Yeah, so, I think a lot of people they look at that and they want they see 600 millimeters, but they don't think that it. It weighs four and a half pounds. <laughs> By itself. By itself. <laughs> That's not your tripods and cameras and your personal bags and waters and everything. And so when you're 10, 11,000 feet up in the air and you're used to eight or eight or 900 elevation, uh, the breathing capabilities are different. <laughs> <laughs> Everything is different. <laughs> so that one pound or two pounds or three extra pounds become, you know, that wears on you over a long day. It does. The lens rentals uh, point you brought up is a good one. Um, for me, I do own some long lenses. I have a 7200 yep. and 100, 400. Um, but when I get contracted out to film outdoor projects like hunts, for instance, uh, my favorite lens to use to film hunts on actually is a Canon 28 to 300 L lens. It's kind of a pricey lens. It's like twenty four hundred and fifty dollars. Yep. Um, but it's a fantastic lens, and I'll rent it usually with a speed booster as well as a regular adapter and I'll speed boost it to my mm -hmm. FS7 if I'm doing like an archery hunt gives yep. me that 28 to 300 millimeter look makes it more like a full frame um, and then when I'm filming a, a, a gun hunt I will just straight adapt it where the crop factor makes it like a 42 to 450 yep. um, so and the image stabilization and the manual focus and on that lens is fantastic as is the image quality and it's a pretty big lens it's yep. Almost, uh, it's almost almost weighs three pounds, but it's it's a great lens. Uh, but it's not one that I would personally own. I, I just don't really have a need to own it. So yeah. when I I'm like you, if I get contracted on something like that, um, I go to Lens Rentals and order it, and it's really not that expensive. I mean, 200, 300 bucks, you could get it for like a week or more. And I usually just charge that into my 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 proposal to the client, and I never end up paying for it anyway. That's right. That's right, and and that's that's what I do on occasion too, as far as adapting glass. You know, I've when I cut my teeth on filming, I cut my teeth with Canon products, and just get my hands on the old DSLRs. You know, I, I've worked on a 5D Mark II for a little bit, just learning, not doing anything professionally, but I had a friend that had one, so I'd I'd go through the menus and just, just play with it, and I got to to really enjoy those focus stops on their higher end glass, you know, because, sure. you know, if, if, if you use Sony glass, it's focused by wire. So depending on how fast you rotate that, that, uh, that focus ring will depend on how fast it zooms or changes focal plane. And if you go really fast, it moves it really quick, but if you go really slow, it goes really slow. And so you're, turns your your uh your focus pulls are never ever the same and it's almost impossible to to do uh to repeat your work with focus by wire so if you need uh um, a, a a lens or a product that is repeatable then you can adapt uh, to your cameras like i personally use the mc11 because a lot of my projects, when I, if I do need to adapt with a longer lens from Canon or something, I'll have to have dual roles as photographer and videographer. So sure. most of the photography menus 
will be there. Most of those options will be there if you use that MC11 on the A7 III specifically. I hadn't done a lot with the A6400 uh, or 6600s just because it's the dynamic range is not there like the A7 III. So I want to use the best one I had for the photography piece, but there's a, there's still clear advantage to, to native uh, mounted lenses for the photography end. But if you have to use both for video and photo, the MC11 has, has helped me out a lot, especially when I'm using the higher end uh, Canon glass. Sure, yeah. So the MC11 is, is fantastic for that. Um, the reason why I've stuck with the Metabones is when I'm, I usually don't do photography. I do some photography, but uh, most of my work is straight video. And whenever I'm adapting a Canon lens, I'm usually going to be adapting it to my FS7. Yep. And Metabones has these adapters called Cine adapters. And what they are is they are similar to a positive locking mount or PL mount. Mm -hmm. And so you stick the lens straight on and you spin it tight. And it's so strong that you could carry like a seven pound lens off the end of that adapter without the need for lens support. Correct. And so I use that for my video stuff um, on my FS7. So if I am running a, like a three pound lens, like the 28 to 300, I can run one of those Cine adapters or Cine speed boosters for Metabones. And I don't ever have to have uh, lens support. But if I was like you and I was doing photography as well and I was shooting on my mirrorless cameras, I would go MC11 all the way. Um, and then Comlight actually has a really great autofocusing adapter yep. for Nikon lenses if you are a Nikon lens shooter. And Nikon has a 28 to 300 that's actually a pretty good lens. I know quite a bit of people who rock that lens. Yeah. And the autofocus with the Comlight adapter works well. Too. So there's a lot of options out there. Just depends on what you're looking for. That's but right. I could I could not agree with you more on the focus by wire thing. Uh, that is the one thing that kills me more than anything with Sony uh, systems is the focus by wire. Mm -hmm. I, I just got back a couple days ago from filming an Audad hunt in West Texas, and I was using the 100 to 400. And gosh, I wanted to throw that thing off a mountain. <laughs> and trying to repeat focus with it is so hard to pull focus with that lens. But yep. it is a nice lens outside of that. Correct. And the other, uh, I guess, cripple hammer, if you want to call it that, uh, to the 100-400 is if you have it on a tripod. The Yeah, the, don't get me started on this, man. The OSS <laughs> disappears, and that, oh, is so that is so that, frustrating. Okay, I literally just got through talking to my buddy about this, James Miller, uh, with Raven 6 Studios. We were having this conversation right before this podcast, actually. I hate that so much so that I sold my 100 to 400 last year and bought a Canon L glass again yep. because I couldn't take it. Yep. Um, but I ended up missing autofocus for photography, so I switched back. But <laughs> that, honestly, that to me, I didn't want to bring that up, but now that you brought it up, I'll just cut him out and say it. Like To me, that is the number one thing I hate more than anything about Sony is that they can auto-detect the tripod and the image stabilization turns off for video. It's yeah. great for photography, but yeah. it sucks for video. Yes, it does. <laughs> it's frustrating. And Canon lenses don't do that, but Sony's 70 to 200 does it, the 100 to 400 does it, the 200 mm -hmm. to 600, the 400 to 600 primes, all of them, they auto-detect the tripod and the image stabilization disappears. And yep. I, I just hate it, man. Yep. And for those of you that are listening, you're like, well, what's, what's I mean, it's on a tripod, what's the big deal? <clears throat> well, when you're at those longer focal distances and the wind picks up, you'll get micro jitters that wouldn't yep. be there otherwise. You know, if the, if the yep. OS was active, uh, it'll, it might move a little bit and change the framing a little bit, 
because of the stabilization, stabilization was working. But if it's completely shut off, that wind picks up and catches that huge, huge lens hood on the 100 to 400. You'll get micro jitters. And that was one of the things that about ruined some shots for me for our Badlands Film Festival project where I was filming with that. You know, I sure I didn't know it up front until uh, I got back and I was like, man, I, I don't understand this. Did a little more research, a little more reading and found out oh, psh, it shuts off. It auto detects and it'll shut off the mm -hmm. OS. And that has prevented me from renting that lens ever since. <laughs> yeah, it's awful. And honestly, like the other problem is, is not even just the wind. But uh, if I try to pull focus and I touch the focus ring, yep. I, I'm bouncing all over the place. And, and, yep. and Matt, I'm using... I'm using a $4,000 tripod with a 100 millimeter bowl. It ain't mm -hmm. my tripod. Yeah. It's just when you're at a super long focal length like that, the little tiny shakes pop up. Yep. And, you know, I it's funny. I talked to a Sony, a very high-end Sony guy about this. He was at he was at a conference that I was at, and I spoke with him about it about eight months ago, and he had no idea what I was talking about. And he told me, oh, there must just be something wrong with your lens. Well, it turns out the conference was at a camera store, and I said, want to bet? And I took him over to that part of the camera store, and we got out two Sony bodies and two Sony 100-400 lenses, and we put them on a tripod, and I showed this high-end, high-up Sony guy what I was talking about. And he looked at me, started scratching his head, he picked up the phone and made some phone calls, and he said, "Man, I've never heard of this before. I didn't know this was an issue." And he said, "You know, well, you know, I'll, I'll talk to everybody about it and see what we come up with." But that's been eight months ago, and it's been radio silence, and nothing's changed. Oh, um, yeah. yeah, I don't think they thought about it from a video <laughs> perspective. They only thought about it from photography. Photography. Yep. That's that's it's the terrible reason. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So if you are listening to this podcast, like, don't be discouraged about. Sony glass. I mean, they make nice lenses, um, but like anything else, there's compromises. And yep. two of the compromises they have is is you lose image stabilization on a tripod, which is a pain in the butt. And also the focus by wire is really tough. And the 100 to 400 is probably the worst of all of them with focus by wire issues that I've ran into personally. Same here. And that's, it's, yeah. If you manually pull focus, do not rent that lens. I mean, do not. I mean, that's, I, I'm just going to be as honest as I possibly can. Adapt. If you're a Sony guy or girl, adapt it uh, and get some L glass that have those focus stops. Literally, it'll stop at infinity and then it'll stop at its, at its macro. So um, you know where you're at every time and it's repeatable. And that's, that's what you want. It's a muscle memory thing. If you're wanting yeah. a focus pull, you want to learn that muscle memory of how far you need to rotate. You cannot it doesn't do matter how songs. fast or slow if you correct. want it to be repeatable every time. Yeah, so. I think people get too reliable or rely too much on autofocus. And I think that's like people like me uh, and you who've been at it for a while. I came up before autofocus was good enough to use for video. We got that so right. manual, <laughs> focus, <laughs> manual focus was everything. And I still like it over autofocus for not for everything, but for most things, yep. because I like to be able to have control on what's going on. I want to make the decisions. Yep. Um, so autofocus is great, but manual focus is still a very important tool for video. And uh, I just, that's one thing I wish Sony would fix. Correct. If they had make like the G Master Series 2 with a, a limited, you know, a, a, a stopped version of the focus ring where it was hard stops, uh, that, that, would, that would change the game for, for the videographer world 
And, so funny and you should say that blue. because that's exactly what they've done. So they have a 16 to 35 and are going to make a 24 to that's 70 right. and 70 to 200 version of Cine versions of those lenses. Um, but they I still have not yeah. been released yet. And I think the price has not been released either, but I'm assuming it's going to be. It's going to be pricey. Expensive. <laughs> yeah. It's going to be like yeah. for $4,000 or more, I bet. I would um, say so, yeah, because they yeah. just released their what was it, the twelve to twenty four two eight or something like that, mm-hmm. and it was you know way up there four, it four was. plus thousand. So, but that I mean that's that's targeting the the true professional. That's a true professional lens. Yep. And, it's a specialized right. lens, and they have Correct. to make it that expensive because it's the only way they can get their money back. Mm-hmm. You know, not a ton, That's not a lens that you know a hundred thousand people are going to buy. Not at all. And that's all the more reason why the cine lens, <laughs> be prepared, it's going to be expensive. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think Sony and Japanese is actually expensive, but I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. So real, real quick before we wrap up, what kind, of, uh, what kind of drone, gimbal, all that are you rocking? Gimbals, I have the uh, Moza Aircross 2. Okay. How do you like it? It's been very, very good um, with the... Adjustment dials on the back. I can do a. I can you know customize it to where I need to do my yaw or a a uh, horizon adjustment. I can program that to the dial wheel. One of them because there's two. Um, you know you can actually do say for instance for real, real estate stuff. If I forget a part for my tripod and I have my my uh, my gimbal, I got a joystick where I can actually do my pans, my tilts, all that fun stuff. So if I need to get those type of shots for that type of project, then I got multiple options with my tripod and with the uh, gimbal. Uh, I also have uh, a uh, a glide cam, uh, just a manual uh, inertia nice. cam type yep. that yep. I cut my teeth on and learned how to use that. And I actually had my my, my three axis for about six months, maybe even eight before I went full time with the, the gimbal itself because I was so used to just manipulating the uh, the rod of my glide cam, you know, and, sure. and two hand operation. It's just one of those habits you gotta break. But uh, but the good thing is, is I, I, I kept both of them, you know, so just in case um, if battery runs out, I got a second option, you know, that type yep. of thing. I'm I'm a huge fan of two is one and one is none. Yeah. Um, so multiple tripods for that. And um, uh, as far as drones, Mavic 2 Pro, I even got the Mini. And I use the Mini for some of my lower end real estate uh, projects. And it has turned out to be very, very good. Now, granted, dynamic range is atrocious in poor lighting. <laughs> okay. So you have to film. Again, you got to know your camera. And, and play to its strengths. So I don't get a lot of golden hour stuff unless it's a very specific piece of property. Okay. okay. You know, like if it's with, with the Mavic uh, Mini, everything else, yeah, the Mavic 2s and even the original Mavic Pro uh, was, was pretty good. It still had the internal noise reduction stuff that you had to play with. But, um, but the Mini, as long as you keep it... Um, where the, the sun is fairly high in the sky, say two hours before uh, sunset or two hours after sunrise, you should be good to go. <clears throat> and normally, 
we're not going to be filming a lot of real estate tough stuff, um, you know, beyond that because of, you know, family restrictions as far as what's going on in the house and availability of the house. And like I said, I use that one for the lower end houses, you know, that's lower than 500,000. So there, I hadn't had any issues out of uh, being able to use it with that. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. One of uh, the little running gun pieces that I do like to have handy is the uh, Rode Wireless Go. We hadn't talked a lot about audio yet, but, uh, but those, if you are one of those uh, vlog style filmers where you go do projects for special events and whatnot and you have to change who you're putting mics on, this thing is phenomenal. Um, eight hours-ish on the battery life, typically. Really good uh, audio that you can get from it. Um, and matter of fact, I'm, I'm recording with this podcast with, with one of the channels that I'm recording with is actually with the Rode Wireless Go. Nice. So, so you'll, get to, you'll get to hear it. <clears throat> Excuse me. You get to see what it sounds like. But, uh, but yeah, those are, are some of the go-tos that I have um, as far as gimbals and, and drones and stuff. Uh, I do love the, the, the Mavic 2 Pro's uh, LCD controller. Yeah, it's pretty slick. And if you do want to go to Mavic 2, I highly suggest you get it because it opens up to so many different options that you can do with that controller uh you can record to the controller and the drone um <clears throat> and some of the stuff i do since i'm a, a faa pilot for drone i got my license and everything and when i fly commercially for fishing tournaments for live streaming purposes that controller allows you to come out with an, a clean hdmi so you can be the camera drone operator for live stream coverage of a lot of different things so, yeah, that's awesome. That's a great point. So yeah, it's it's uh it's handy. It's really bright. I think the brightness is six or seven hundred nit on it, which is bright. Our phones typically, you know, like uh, iPhone eight, nine, uh, or iPhone eight and elevens are around four to five hundred on its brightest setting. So uh, that just gives you an idea of how bright it is. Yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> Awesome. Well, man, yeah, um, you've got, sounds like you're pretty decked out right now, and and sounds like you said you're, you're looking at getting a A7C, potentially. Any other equipment on the horizon for you? Uh, the jury's out on a lot of stuff. <laughs> I'm a gearhead at heart, man. If I could get it, I'll get it, you know, but uh, no, I, I mean, I even, I even took a hard look at the, um, the new Canon R-mount uh, cameras there for a little while, mm -hmm. but just the overheating situation with the R6 and R5 is probably going to prevent me from even, even considering those anymore. Sure. But, um, <clears throat> I mean, you never know. The A7S3 might be a possibility as well. well yeah, you never just, know, man. You know, I, I, I don't rush into equipment, but I rush out of it, you know, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, you know? 100%. So, um, uh, more than likely, what I'll do is get more glass, um, just to just to have here. Where Mix it up. It. Yep, and um, and then with that glass, I'll be able to pursue different projects that I hadn't been able to do 
uh, in the past. So, uh, you know, at least more conveniently as far as local stuff. Um, sure. But, but yeah, maybe another camera and I may even drop down and get to, uh, 6600s, you know, from a spec standpoint, they're very similar to the A7C. And, uh, you know, the, the limitation there would be the single card slot. So, but nothing on the immediate horizon, but I'm always looking for gear. Always. I stay, <laughs> you and me both. I stay on the rumor sites all the time. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, last thing I want to, I want to do before I let you go is I'm just curious and I'm sure people listening would love to know if you'd mind just sharing a few tips on how you get some of your clients. Okay. Um, do the work. Okay. <laughs> if you're, if you're just starting out, you, your, your expertise and your knowledge is not there yet. Okay. So in order to benefit the client and benefit you, there has to be a compromise there. And typically that's with price. And what I had done in the past was I would actually say for real estate purposes, I would call out and do some cold calling or the real estate agents that I already knew, I'd have them introduce me and then I would let them know, hey, I am just getting started, but I would like to offer at least one listing video for you for free. And from a real estate standpoint, that got my name out fairly quick. And then that gave me the content and the opportunity to get better. Plus my network expanded, you know, tenfold, you know, pretty quick by being able to offer that to three or four different agents. And then I was able to start charging, you know, but this is back when I had a full-time job. So if you're trying to do this full-time, obviously you can't do that a lot, but if you have the option to do that and you want to go into a new, um, a new area of videography or photography, I would suggest, highly suggest doing that saying, Hey, this is what I can do. This is what I'll offer you. And you can make that decision on the price, whether it's free or extremely discounted and then go from there because you cannot replace having practice time on the camera. There's no other way to get good than hitting that record button and adjusting settings and learning from your mistakes. So, uh, if you don't have that opportunity yet, <clears throat> I would highly suggest starting a YouTube channel, but be consistent. So if you can do two, two videos a month, do two videos a month. If you can do one a week, do one a week. Don't overstretch yourself, be consistent, but do something to where it forces you to film. So if you, when we're coming up on the fall and if you're a hunter, and you want to get into the filming aspect of the hunting industry, then you need to just start a, a, a YouTube channel just to document the 2020 fall season. Get out there, put that tree arm up, up on that tree, learn how to balance it, learn how to kind of preset some stuff before you even stick it on the tree, learn what that camera arm does, whether or not to wear metal rings or rubber rings if you're married. Sorry, I've done that. Kink, kink, kink. <laughs> uh, but get out there and film. That I'm telling you, that is the best way to learn 
and really uh, hone your craft of what you can do. And the, the best thing that you get out of that is you get confidence. So when you do go to those clients, you can say, hey, I know what I can do. This is what I'll do for you. And it'll be a good job. So get out there and film as much as you can. That's great advice. And I really like the idea you had about uh, maybe doing a, a free video for a new listing agent. Um, I'm not one to promote free work all the time. However, I did do something similar. I, when I moved to a new area and wanted to get plugged in, yep. I donated a video to a Christian school and yep. that was played at a fundraising banquet. And man, I, I attribute virtually every client I've ever gotten here to that day. Um, so there are definitely reasons to do that. I've done it, you've done it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, for anyone out there looking to get new clients, I'm not saying that you work for free nope. all the time, nope. but donating a video or offering a video to get your foot in the door somewhere, um, yep. making sure up front that they understand it's a one-time deal, but offering it can, uh, can definitely help you get a new client based. Yep. And it's, and it's one of those things that it's not just like a one-off. You know, I'm going to offer this to you and then I'm done type thing where you got to go straight to the max price here of what I'm going to uh, be offering and, and everything. So just be smart about it. If if you yep. go, if you go to, let's just stick with the real estate analogy. <clears throat> if you go to a, a brand new broker that only has four agents in his uh, firm, uh, it's they'll all know you, but. You have to be very upfront with those those newer and smaller firms that, hey, this is just a one-time deal, okay? Be very adamant with that. Say, even on the invoice or something that you send them later after you do it, just so they have some documentation, somewhere added on there in the email or something, say, oh, by the way, this was the, the one time I did the reduced uh, pricing for you, so anything from here on out, blah, 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 blah. But if, yep. if you want... If you've been filming for two years, and like you just said, I wanted to get into a newer market, not offered a, a discounted uh, uh, services for whatever, and you want to go to a different county or a bigger city and kind of get your name out there, be smart about it. Because if you've been doing it for three or four years and you're really good and you know what you can get for uh, your video and your products, if you go to that bigger a firm that has 40 agents. Don't be prideful. <laughs> <laughs> be humble a little bit. Don't have to do it for free, but offer a, a, a dis discounted version of it. Say, hey, just so I can earn your trust, just so you, we can see if this is going to work, see if it's a mutual benefit, I'll offer you this. And usually, usually, you'll at least get that first uh, first job and you'll learn from dealing with the, the, the broker or the real estate, head real estate, real estate agent that, yeah, they are way too picky or mm -hmm. man, this is, this is my, my honey hole. These are awesome yep. people. Uh, I love interacting with them. We have similar interests and you never know, you might get a friend out of it too, but that is a great way to test the waters new markets, new whatevers. Um, and, and definitely, uh, just keep that in the back of your, back of your hat. Yeah. And you if out. you do a good, 
Yeah, exactly. And if you do a good job uh, and they like your work and they feel like they have to have it, they will pay you. They will. That is no doubt. Because yep. if they think that they can get an edge on on selling that house, they will call you. No doubt. Yep. 100% agree. Well, Matt, I appreciate your time and I appreciate all the insight you gave today and, and sharing your story with us. Um, I like your work and I enjoyed talking with you and I'm excited to see what kind of money you spend this next year. Uh, hopefully you spend more than me because I probably shouldn't be shouldn't be out there buying a bunch of stuff. But man, that FX9 staring me at the face and I may just have to do it. But we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I appreciate it, man. And I hope you have a great rest of your year. And uh, how can people, how can they find you and look at your work? Uh, YouTube. I have a channel on there as well. Um, and I actually have some instructional base, some 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 entry level uh, instructional base videos there on lighting and camera work and just just different things. And I do to get in, and you have some, some like reviews too, right? Yep, I do get into some of the gear reviews and stuff. And as far as budget friendly products uh, that I do use, you know, if, if I tell you I use it, I use it. Matter of fact, just to give you an example, uh, I have four of the Young Yo uh, YN three hundred Mark three LED lights. And I should have a full review on, on those things um, on my channel, but they're a $60 LED light that performs like a $150 light. So that's awesome. You know, it's, there's a lot of information there, but Instagram, um, I post as much as I can, depending on client uh, agreements of what uh, content I can share and use for my channels. But Instagram, 42 Pros, Facebook, 42 Pros. And uh, yeah, that's where you can definitely find me. And feel free, reach out. You know, if, if somebody's out here and and they actually do think I got some kind of sense and I know a little bit of knowledge about A73s or something, if you got a question, hit me up. I I, I, I love to help people out and get people started uh, down the, the path that, that I went. And uh, if I can help them along, I'll definitely do it. Awesome. Well, we appreciate you being on the podcast, and we will uh, definitely be checking out more of your work. I know I will be looking forward to see what other kind of content you come out with this year. But uh, thanks, Matt, again for joining me. Thanks for the time, man. I appreciate it. It's been fun. Absolutely. And guys, be sure to check out the Filming with Josh Facebook group. That is Filming with Josh on Facebook to learn more tips, tricks, and how to make flicks. See you guys next time. To learn more about Rustic River Media, visit us online at rusticriver.media. Thanks for listening to the Filming with Josh podcast. Catch every episode by hitting subscribe today. Today.